Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. If you are new with us, I am Roger. I'm the senior pastor of Life Church, and we're continuing our message series. Uh, this is week two of worship, giving God our best. Have you ever heard the story of the baptism, about the baptism of the Gauls, G-A-U-L-S, Gauls? The Gauls were like a fierce, warlike people um, who in ancient times lived in what is now France and Belgium. Um, they spoke a Celtic language, and their religion was a form of Celtic paganism uh, that was overseen by Druids. By the Christian era, they had been conquered by the Roman Empire and were mostly under its control. Um, I say mostly because there were several Gaelic uprisings. A number of Christian missionaries went into Gaelic territory, and over the years, uh, many of the Gauls became Christ followers. Now, supposedly, when a Gaul warrior was baptized, it was usually like in a river or in a stream, um, when the missionary dunked him under the water, he would hold one arm high so it wouldn't get wet. Why would he do that? He would do that so that when the next battle broke out, the Gaul could say, this arm isn't baptized. And then he would pick up his sword or his club or his axe, uh, and with that arm, and he would ride off into the battle and kill the enemy. So it's an interesting image, the idea of someone trying to keep one part of their body uh, free from being baptized. We talked last week about worship being more than just singing, um, that it's learning to glorify God with every aspect of our lives. And I'm beginning this message this morning with this image of the Gauls trying to keep their arm from being baptized uh, because worship and glorifying God with our whole life is about getting completely wet. It's about looking at ourselves and discovering uh, what it is in our lives that we want to keep dry and then immersing that into the waters of baptism. Now we can all struggle with submitting different areas of our lives to the Lord, um, but um, Here's one of the more common ones. I picture many modern-day Christians going under the baptismal waters with an outstretched arm, and they're not, they're not clutching a sword or a club or an axe, but they're clutching their checkbook, their money. Or they're clutching their calendar, like their free time. But one of the primary ways through uh, the whole Bible, we see it all throughout the Bible, is that God is worshipped through giving. Giving God what is most valuable. Uh, giving God their best. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 say the following. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose from among all the tribes. 
the place where his name will be honored. There you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, and your offerings of the firstborn animals of your herds and flocks. God tells his people how he wants them to worship. He says to bring your offerings to the designated place. Worship always included offerings. Just in these three verses, uh, we see that they gave burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's animal sacrifices. We see that they gave tithes and sacred offerings. That's typically money. They gave offerings to fulfill a vow. That's whatever they had promised to the Lord. They gave voluntary offerings. That's over and above what was expected. And they gave the firstborn animals of their herds and flocks. So at least five different kinds of offerings are listed there. They worshipped God by giving. In fact, in several places, God told the Israelites not to come to worship empty-handed. Here's one. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. It says, Each year, every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. All must give as they are able, according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. So don't come empty-handed, but bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord has blessed you. And by the way, that concept of proportionate giving uh, runs all throughout the Bible. Give in proportion to the way God has blessed you. If you've received more, give more. If If you've got a lot, give a lot. Come to worship with full hands, ready to give. If you haven't given God something, you haven't worshipped. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says, Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Worship always included offerings. In fact, you will be hard-pressed to find an example of worship in the Old Testament that didn't include an offering because worship is giving. If you haven't given God something, you haven't worshipped. And we see the same thing in the New Testament. In Matthew 2, why did the Magi come from the east? I mean, it literally starts off right with the birth of Jesus Christ. Why did the Magi come from the east? It said, we saw his star and we have come to worship him. Right? And then they came to worship the newborn king. And how did they worship him? They bowed down and worshipped him and giving him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshipped by giving. Like right there at the beginning. Even in heaven, like let's forward the clock all the way. Even in heaven, worship is giving. Revelation 4 describes worship in heaven, where the living creatures give praise to God. They give him honor. They give him thanks. And then the 24 elders bow down, and they worship him. 
and they lay their crowns at his feet. Right? They take the most valuable thing that they have and they give it back to the Lord, casting their crowns at his feet. It's in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. So all through the Bible, cover to cover, we see that worship is giving. So what do we give? What do we give? How, how, how would we answer this question? What do we give the Lord? The answer is the title of this message series and the title of this message. We give God our best. We give him praise, we give him honor, we give him thanks, we give him adoration, right? We give him ourselves, we give him our hearts, we give him our lives, we give him our time, we give him our money, right? We give him our everything. Worship is giving God our best. The first example of worship through giving in the Bible uh, is in Genesis 4 where we see two brothers, Cain and Abel, offering sacrifices. Right? You remember this, this story, Cain and Abel. The story goes like this. It's in Genesis 4, 2 through 5. It says, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So why would God accept Abel's offering and not accept Cain's? So over the centuries, there have been a lot of different explanations for this question, answering this question. Some, some think that God would only accept an animal sacrifice. I mean, generally, I tend to like meat more than vegetables. Maybe you relate to that. Like, I'd rather take a smoked brisket or ribs or prime rib or ribeye over a salad. I don't think that's it. We see all through the Old Testament that God commanded both animals and vegetable sacrifices, right? Grain offerings, first fruits, those kinds of things. And each of these brothers brought an offering that represented their work, right? The fruit of their labors. Cain brought his offering from the field, and Abel brought his offering from the herd. So I don't think it was the fact that I don't think it was the fact that Abel offered an animal and Cain didn't. So why? Well, I think the answer is right there in the text. It says Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. But then it says Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. 
So Cain presented some of his crops for worship, and Abel offered the best, the choicest animals from his flock. First part of uh, Hebrews 11.4 says this, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. So this verse from Hebrews says it was, be- it was a better offering. It was literally more acceptable offering. Abel's offering was more acceptable than Cain's. I think Abel gave God his best. He looked at his flock and he said, which lamb is the best lamb? I want to give my best to God to show him that I love him. And Cain's attitude seemed to be like, I I need to give an offering to God. This will do. It's good enough. So we learn here what worship really is. Worship is giving our best to God. And this, the Old Testament sacrificial law just kept reinforcing this same idea, right? Over and over and over it says that our offerings to God should be our best. Our best animal without any defect, um, perfect, right? Our choicest fruits and vegetables, the first and best of our crops and herds. But even though this was, this was very clear to the Israelites, they, they tended to ignore it. We see this in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. It says this, The Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defiled them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the lords of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all, asks the lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You're saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Shouldn't I accept from you such offerings as these, asked the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, 
but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. So God asked for their best, but instead they offered the Lord uh, blemished lambs and defective rams, right? And God rejected these offerings, uh, these offerings that were good enough, the same way he had rejected Cain's offering several centuries before. Because worship, I'll say it again, is giving God our best. I want to talk for a moment about uh, church offerings. So if you've attended other churches before this one, uh, you may have noticed that we don't pass an offering plate here at Life Church. Why is that? It's interesting, uh, just in the past few weeks I've had several conversations with both the pastors and the elders about this very thing. Like, since giving is an act of worship, um, should we start passing an offering plate? Or should we just continue mentioning that there are offering boxes in the back where you can give online or through the church app? And it prompted some, some pretty good discussions. We decided not to start passing an offering plate, um, primarily because it was felt like um, it is actually more an act of worship to get up and go back to the box and give your offering there or to go online and set up your giving that way. And we didn't want people to give out of guilt or compunction, like, like when that offering plate comes by. I mean, you've probably been in other churches. You're like, oh, I better put something in there. That's not the right spirit, right? You know, like for years, I've, I've, we've set up our giving online you know, so it comes out every month, but like in my last church, when the plate would pass, you know, it's like, who's watching? Maybe I should put something in, you know. It's like, that's just the wrong spirit. <laughs> so I never faked it. I didn't put something in, like, just to show that I'm just like, if you, if you want to know if I give, just ask me and I'll tell you. <laughs> so Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 say this. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You know, it's funny. Um, many people seem to think that the reason that we even mention giving an offering uh, is because the church needs to pay its bills, is because the pastors need to get paid, and because of the good things we want to do with the money that's collected, right? Good things here at Life Church and good things out in the community and out in the world. Now, we do need to pay the bills, right? And absolutely, I and the other staff would not be here if it was not for your faithful giving. And we do want to have a kingdom impact, right, in your lives, in the lives of our community, in the life of our, uh, people in the world. We want to be faithful stewards of your sacrificial giving. But that is not the main reason we encourage you to give. Let me explain. 
So imagine you're in ancient Israel. Ancient Israel, right? Before the temple was built. The community gathers to worship around an altar. Each person brings an offering to God. Right? Some have drink offerings, and they bring them, and they pour them out onto the altar until the liquid is gone. Some have grain offerings, right? like sheaves of wheat. And they put it on the altar, and the, and the priest lights it up on fire, burns it away until it's all gone. Some bring birds and livestock. Right? All of those are killed and burned up in the fire. I mean, the priests eat some of it, but the rest gets consumed in the fire. So what's my point? Worshippers brought things they valued, right? Hopefully the best that they had to give, and they just left them there at the altar. They gave them up, right? They gave them to the Lord. The liquid was poured out. The grain was burned up. The animals were slaughtered, and they were burned up as well. People gave offerings to God as an act of worship, and for the most part, those offerings were simply destroyed. Right? Now you would be probably, guessing, you would probably be appalled uh, if we just destroyed your offering. Right? Like we just burned up the checks and the cash. Uh, we just melted down the coins. Um, you'd be upset if we didn't put it to some good use. But if we look at the ancient Israelites and their practice of worship through giving, if we look at the grain and the animals, even the drink offerings, like all of that was the equivalent of currency to the ancient Israelites. And they felt it necessary to bring those offerings to the Lord. Right? But the point... The point wasn't what happened to their offering after they placed it on the altar. The point was simply putting their offering on the altar in the first place. Right? The Israelites could have said, well, maybe we should give this to the poor instead. Uh, maybe we should make sure that something is productive uh, with, done with this money. Uh, with these offerings, which seems logical until we realize that what happens over time is that people begin to forget the real reason for making these offerings. Those other things are good things. They are good things, but they are secondary things. Right? The primary purpose of giving is worship. Psalm 54, verse 6 says, I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. That's our first scripture this morning. The second is Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. An offering is an act of worship. It's a time where we're invited to give up something that we value as a sacrificial gift to the Lord. And even though at Life Church we don't pass an offering plate, um, 
We do invite you each week to worship the Lord through giving. Right? And I would argue, I would argue that when we do that, it is actually the high point of the service. Right? We shouldn't we shouldn't come to church primarily to just get something out of it. Right? We should come to church primarily to worship the Lord. Um, and at no other point in the service are we provided with so pure an opportunity of worship than when we are invited to give an offering. You're invited to take part in the offering not primarily because the church needs your money, um, but because you want and you need to give it. The offering is not a fundraising ritual. Um, it's an act of worship where we're all invited to express our love for the Lord and for all that he has done for us, right? If you, if you see it as simply supporting the church and its ministries, um, if you see it as one of a list of many options for uh, tax-deductible donations that you can make, uh, to different organizations throughout the year, um, you will probably get no more satisfaction out of giving to the church than you do in paying your gas bill. Which, of course, with the rising cost of gas, <laughs> I don't think any of us are getting satisfaction out of paying our gas bill. The idea is that we've given, we're given an opportunity to express our love for the Lord by giving up something that we value. So if, as I said last week, our chief aim as followers of Jesus is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, if the essence of the, of the Christian life is worship, and the essence of worship is sacrifice, then we'll begin to see our giving as an act of worship, right? Giving back to the Lord out of the abundance of the grace and the blessing and the provision that he has given us. When I was a child, uh, I made it a point to give, make and give several gifts to my mom. Um, there, there was this plexiglass napkin holder that I made, gave it to her. Um, there was this wooden keychain thing that like goes by the front door um, I remember carving it I'm terrible at like mechanical things so this was like <laughs> this is this uh, took a lot of effort had like a little mirror in it that kind of thing uh, there was a book of poetry that I wrote and gave her uh, several other things that I made and gave to my mom uh, throughout my childhood I, I can't remember a lot of them at this point but when my mother passed in 2013, I came across all these things. She'd saved all of it. So why had I made and given her those things? Because I loved her. Why had she saved all those things? Because she loved me. There is a strong connection between love and giving. 
Most of us know what it's like to love someone so much that we want to give them things, right? Maybe it's a, it's a special toy for a child. Maybe it's a, a special gift for your wife. So funny story along those lines. Uh, when Jackie and I were living in Illinois uh, several years ago, many years ago now, uh, we were out walking through Community College, which is just across the street from our town home that we lived in. And uh, we were looking in the windows of one of the classrooms, and we saw this like life-size skeleton hanging in one of the classrooms. And I'm pretty sure it was like for an anatomy class or, or something like that. Well, Jackie kept going on about how cool that skeleton was. Like, I mean, she was in school training to become um, a, a voice professor, like teaching singing, voice professor kind of thing. And uh, she thought it'd be cool to have this life-size skeleton, right, in her studio where she could, like, show all the anatomy and the muscles and the, and the structures and things like that. So I remember, I remember those kinds of things. And... Uh, So I went to go like buy one <laughs> for Christmas and uh, I was like, no, I, that's like thousands of dollars, <laughs> I, can't, I can't afford that. So I didn't buy the big one, but I found a small one. I found one that's like <laughs> this big and, and I bought it and wrapped it, put it under the tree and, and uh, man, I was so excited, you know, when she, she was, we're all sitting there on Christmas morning and she opens this up. And uh, I was just waiting for that look of excitement on her face. And there was not excitement on her face. <laughs> it was just like, like, <laughs> uh, she just looked disappointed. Okay. Uh, so I found out later that, that she, she thought it was boots. She thought I'd bought her boots. So she's, you think it's boots, but it's a skeleton, you know. <laughs> My heart was in the right place. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I felt bad because, like, her mom kind of chastised her for not being more thankful. Um, oh, well. Uh, we did name that little skeleton. Called it Slim. <laughs> it, was, it was a nice skeleton. It wasn't like the one you get at, like, Spirit Halloween or something. It was, like, the real deal. Anyway. So the motivation for giving... <laughs> Motivation for giving shouldn't be obligation, right? It should be desire, right? We don't give because it's something we should do. We, we, we give because it's something we should want to do, right? And we get us, hopefully, get a sense of excitement, right, when we give gifts to the one we love, right? Especially if we put a lot of thought and planning into it. And sometimes we give them things for no practical reason at all, Right? Men, you ever buy your wife flowers or jewelry, right? Is it because it's practical? No. Right? Is it because she needs them? No. I mean, if you're just looking for a practical gift, right, you could just go get a mixer or a vacuum or I don't know. Some women would be like, oh, I'd love the Dyson vacuum, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, others would be like, no, I don't feel loved right now, that kind of thing. 
But you want to, the idea is you want to give the gift that's going to light up her eyes, right? She's excited about it, right? It is, it's the same thing with the Lord, right? It should be an act of just sacrificial giving because it's done out of your love for the Lord. So certainly we want to support the life and the mission of the church, right? But giving as an act of worship should take us from duty to delight. And this kind of giving is it's like all through the Bible, right? When Noah exits the ark after the flood, like I can't even imagine how thankful he was. Like he and his family among all the people of the world were chosen to, to like be saved. And so you finally hit land, right? Coming out of the ark. And he is so thankful for God saving him and his family um, that the first thing he does is he goes and builds an altar and offers sacrifices to God. Right? It's in Genesis chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. It says, So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. When Jacob experiences God's presence in a dream, he doesn't know what else to do. So he sets up a stone and he pours oil on it. That's in Genesis 28. It says this, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning Jacob got up very early he took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So the idea that um, when people are struck by the goodness of God, they naturally want to give to God, right? They don't even, sometimes even know like how to do that, but they, but they want to do it. I mean, we might ask, what does God have need for dead animals or wasted oil, right? That doesn't seem to be the point. Uh, these people have experienced the goodness of God and they wanted to worship God, right? And they did that by taking something that belonged to them um, and giving it to the Lord in, in the only way that they knew how. So, there's this woman, right? Remember this woman, the woman uh, who poured out very expensive nard or ointment or perfume oil, whatever you want to call it, out onto Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair, right? Some people thought that was a waste. Jesus didn't. 
He thought it was a beautiful sacrificial act of worship. Maybe you remember Zacchaeus. Little Zacchaeus was a wee man, right? Climbed the tree. The tax collector. So he was so moved by his visit with Jesus uh, that he announced that he was going to give half of his wealth to the poor. Then there's the widow who gave two small coins. Jesus said this. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. So here's an interesting fact about the widow's offering. Uh, Jesus praises her for making a gift, right, to the temple that he just condemned as a corrupt institution. It's in the previous chapter when Jesus knocks over uh, the table, the money changers. You remember this? He says in Mark eleven seventeen, he says, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He specifically faulted the temple leaders for cheating the widows out of their property in order to fill their own pockets. Mark 12, 40 says it. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Then why would Jesus praise this widow for giving her money to a cause that he apparently thinks is unworthy of her support? It's interesting. Um, it would seem that his focus is more on her sacrificial act of worship. He's not praising her choice of who she's given the money to. He's praising her sacrificial heart of giving all that she has. And really, God wants more of our heart than anything else. He doesn't necessarily want our gift, per se. He wants what it represents. He doesn't want us to be like those, those galls where we're just trying to keep some part of us from getting wet. Right? He wants us completely wet, completely immersed, where he is the Lord of every area of our life. Right? Where we're worshiping him, and where we are giving him our best. I want to conclude with two questions for you to really um, think about and really talk to the Lord about. First, is there some area of your life that you're trying to keep from getting wet? Right? Like some area of your life where you're still holding back from the Lord. That's the first question. And the second question is, is your giving truly an act of worship? Right? Like the woman pouring out the expensive ointment, or Zacchaeus who, who uh, encountered Jesus and gave away half of his wealth, or like the widow, right, who not only gave the Lord her best, she gave the Lord her all. 
So my prayer is that the Spirit would convict each of us in how we can grow in our worship and grow in our ability to give God our best. I want to close by uh, praying Psalm 145. I'm going to replace the word I with we uh, because I want this to be our prayer. So would you pray with me? Let's pray. We exalt you, our God and King. We praise your name forever and ever. We will praise you every day. Yes, we will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. We will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. We will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. We will praise the Lord And may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen.